Good morning, friends. My name is Dave Furman. I serve as a senior pastor here at Redeemer. And if you're new to us, we are glad you're here. We're glad you've joined us. Don't forget, we have an evening worship gathering tonight at 5 p.m. John mentioned it earlier. It's at Le Meridian Hotel in the Al Wassel Ballroom. It's not a third service. It's an additional service. We'll have more singing. We'll hear lots of testimonies and lots of sharing of God's work in our church. We'll have a short devotional and some prayer. Adults and children will all be together. Bring your friends with you. Everyone is welcome. Also, we have a men's conference on Friday, December 2nd, from 3 to 9 p.m. Our friend Garrett Kell and others will be there. We'll be speaking on topics like friendship and purity. Men, you can register online at the website. And one last thing, we're being moved next week back to our old ballroom for one week. So one week we'll be back on the other side of the hotel, but there's an issue with the timings. And so while the first service will be at 9 a.m., this service, the second service will be at 10.40 a.m. 10.40 a.m. So come 20 minutes early and join us next week, the Amo Ballroom. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, open our hearts to delight in Jesus this morning. Many of us are weary and brokenhearted. Give us hope. Give us peace. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Can Christians get depressed? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Some might say, well, Christians are supposed to be happy 100% of the time. Jesus died for us, we'll be with Christ forever. Difficult things may come, but we smile anyway. Some say if you're depressed, you're just not reading your Bible or praying enough. Others proclaim depression is willful sinning against God. Have you heard Christians say things like that? Over the last three months, we've walked through the book of Leviticus. For the next two weeks, we want to take a topic and see what the Bible says about it. This week, we'll look at the subject of depression. And next Friday, we'll look at how we can help those who are hurting. There's no formal outline today, but friends, if you're taking notes, rest assured, I will have three application points in the second half of the sermon. Can Christians get depressed? Let's hear some testimonies from Bible heroes. King David, he had many enemies in his life. He felt the severity of his own sin. His family imploded. He spent many years in turmoil. In Psalm 6, David wrote, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. He later says, I have sorrow in my heart all day long. Job, in chapter 3 of his book, Job curses his own birth. He's been through drastic physical agony. His children have died, livelihood, livestock, gone. He says, let the day perish on which I was born. Why did I not die at birth, come out of the womb and expire? would have been better for me to have been stillborn than to live. 
Elijah. In 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah wanted to die. Elijah, the prophet of God, wanted to die. God gave him victory against the 450 false prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel. And after a famine, Elijah prayed for rain and God gave them rain. God was at work through Elijah in so many amazing ways. God was using him incredibly. But then when Ahab and Jezebel, the wicked king and queen of Israel, were out to get Elijah, Elijah runs away, lays under a tree, begging God, might I die? It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life. Moses. In Numbers 11, when he was feeling the overwhelming burden of leadership, he says, I'm not able to carry all this people alone. This burden is too heavy for me. If you, God, will treat me like this, kill me at once. Jeremiah. He served as a faithful mouthpiece to the Lord. But it was God's will that no one listened. No one would repent. Not even one. I mean, consider that for your ministry. You're out there preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus and no one turns. No wonder Jeremiah is called the weeping or the wailing prophet. He said, Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day when my mother bore me, let it not be blessed. Not only that, he says, Cursed be the man who brought the news to my father, a son is born to you, making him very glad. I mean, he's saying, even that man who announced my birth to my dad, that guy needs to be cursed. Because my life has been an utter disaster. Jonah. We all know Jonah was swallowed by a whale, but that wasn't his most depressing moment. Later on in his book, we see that he didn't like the Ninevites. These are the men that, and the women, the people group that Jonah was called to preach to, these enemies of Israel. But the problem was they repented. Jonah didn't like it that God would have mercy on them. And so he sits under a plant. He pouts, feels sorry for himself. But the sun withers the plant, destroys the shade. And he says, it would be better for me to die than to live. The Apostle Paul, he writes in 2 Corinthians 1, For we do not want to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Friends, have you read those passages before? Is this new to you? David, Job, Elijah, Moses, Jeremiah, Jonah, Paul. How about one of my historical heroes, Charles Spurgeon? He was an incredible preacher in 19th century London. His sermon transcripts were so widely loved and known that they printed them in the newspaper on Mondays. But at the age of only 22, he was preaching to a large group of of thousands. And during his sermon, someone yelled out fire. And seven people were trampled to death right then. And Spurgeon could never get over that night. He faced intense public slander. His wife, Susanna, 
in her early 30s became an invalid and could hardly ever join the saints for corporate worship, hardly ever hear her husband preach. Spurgeon had all kinds of physical agony. He struggled with gout for most of his life. His body ached continuously from rheumatism and inflamed kidneys. He was out of the pulpit one third of the time that he was pastor because of his health. Spurgeon battled massive despair. Some days he was so depressed he had difficulty getting out of bed. On one occasion, his depression was so bad that he had to take six months away from the ministry and even leave England to try to heal. When depression would come upon him, he said he was like a man fighting the mist. It was everywhere, but he couldn't hit it. He said, my spirits were sunken so low that I could weep by the hour like a child, and yet I knew not what I wept for. All this continued until God took him home at the age of 57. While there are many differences between Spurgeon and myself, I feel like I can relate a bit to Spurgeon. I'm certainly not comparing my preaching ability to the great Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Don't hear me say that. But I've had a taste of Spurgeon's sorrows. Our family moved to the Middle East here eight years ago. And those were desperate times for us. I spent most of the first six months that we lived in a small town in Oman, sitting on the couch, depressed. Most days I'd sit in sadness all day long. I had no desire to go anywhere, no desire to do anything. It must have been quite a scene if we happened to actually get out of the house from time to time. My wife, Gloria, would buckle in our baby daughter into her car seat, close the door, and then walk to the other side of the car, get my door, wait till I sat in my seat. She would then buckle my seatbelt She would then close the door and then walk to the other side to open up our gate to our driveway, where she would open it, get in the car, drive out, come back out of the car, close the gate, and then we'd be off. Then when we returned home, we'd repeat the scene in reverse, but this time she'd be carrying a baby, carrying luggage, maybe carrying food from the the store. And did I mention she was pregnant at the time? I moved to the Middle East to change the world. And I couldn't even change my genes without help. I had developed a neurological disorder, lost almost all my arm strength, suffered in constant burning pain, both of my arms. I was almost completely disabled, had major surgery before we moved. We thought I was healed. We thought we were coming at full strength and we were going to barge in and plant this church. But not only had my pain returned, it was worse than ever before. I had lost control over most of my fingers. I had boil-like wounds on all my fingertips and could hardly touch anything. I was on maximum dosage of medication for my nerve condition, along with high doses of medication for anxiety and depression. At one point, I ran out of medicine for my depression, and I thought I was going crazy. I would, many nights, just pace up and down my bedroom yelling at myself, yelling to myself in utter despair. I tried reading books. None of them performed the magic trick I was looking for. Gloria and I even watched nine seasons of a celebrated 
comedy sitcom, hoping that would do the trick, but all to no avail. As I sat there in Oman, I wanted to die. Probably no less than a hundred times a day, I would say to myself, I wish I was dead. I wish I was dead. I just want to die. My depression had so vandalized my joy and sense of God's goodness that everything in the world looked dark. That was the start of my role with Redeemer Church of Dubai. For six months, Gloria would buckle my seatbelt in. We'd drive two hours to Dubai to do what we could to cast vision for a church plant, to talk about what God might do on this side of the creek. That was our beginning. And God did an incredible work, and there's obviously no other explanation except God built his church through the power of his spirit upon Jesus Christ. And he included a broken and hurting pastor to be a small part of it. And that was eight years ago. Now, fast forward to today, and I wish my story had a fairy tale ending to share with you. But it doesn't. At least not in the way most people write fairy tales or share about a joyful ending. I'm still disabled eight years later. I still can't drive. I can't shake hands. Can't pick up my children, open most doors. I can't put on my seatbelt. Can't flush the toilet or carry a heavy book. I can't change a diaper. I can't do household chores. I can't lift more than about one kilogram and only for a short period of time. I've even, over time, developed pain in my legs these last two years. Some nights I lay in bed trying to go to sleep, and I'm in such agonizing pain I just can't do it. My arms hurt all the time. And throughout this journey, I've suffered greatly with depression. And there are still days when life seems hopeless. Sometimes I feel like the author of Psalm 88 that Reuben read for us earlier. Did you feel the darkness in that psalm? It's a dark psalm. Bible scholar Derek Kidner says there is no sadder psalm in the Psalter. And the psalmist Haman is clearly depressed. He's hardly even fighting for hope. In this case, Haman was praying. That, that's a good thing. He feels that God isn't giving him what he needs, that God is distant from him. And when he does sense God's presence, he only sees God as a source of pain. Look at verses 6 and 7. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Verse 8, even his former companions have turned against him. By the end of the psalm, he starts asking the why questions. Verse 14, oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Why, God? Haman's depression really just reinforces what we've already seen in Moses and David and Jonah and Elijah and Jeremiah and Job and Paul. 
Can Christians get depressed? Yes. Believers can be overcome by darkness for long periods of time. They can attend church services, pray prayers, be engaged in fellowship, and yet find little improvement. Things don't always work themselves out quickly in the believer's life. Now, how do we define depression? Well, one man has written, grief, which is something we all do. We all grieve when a loved one passes away. We all grieve when there's pain. Grief is depression in proportion to circumstance. Whereas depression is grief out of proportion of circumstance. I think that's a good definition. We all grieve pain and death. Whereas depression comes, that grief just escalates. That grief just rises out of proportion to our circumstances. And sometimes it's difficult for us to control. You can have the right answer in your mind. You can know what Jesus has done for you. You can know the truth in your mind. And yet it doesn't make its way into your heart. Your sadness is out of proportion with reality. Like in my case in Oman, when I thought I'd be better off dead because my arms hurt. My mind knew better, but my heart couldn't believe it. I told you I don't have an outline this morning, and I really don't. But I do want to give us three exhortations to consider about depression. Three things. Number one. We need to be honest about depression. Church, we need to be honest about it. We need to acknowledge it exists. We need to acknowledge that Christians can get depressed. God didn't hide the depressed saints in the Bible, so why do we hide? Many of us are struggling and we haven't told anyone. Some of us come from cultures that are more individualistic. And from an early age, we're taught that we don't need anyone, especially the emotional issues like sadness or depression. We're told, you just just keep those to yourself. Others of us come from cultures that are more honor and shame-based. If someone knew about our anxiety and depression, we'll surely lose face. And so we hide. We keep it to ourselves. We're afraid. Uh, What will they say about me? What will they say about my family? Some of us are in our 40s, 50s, and 60s, and we think, no way I'm going to admit my pain. Because I command respect. People need to think I'm strong. Many of us come from cultures where we just don't talk about these things. Some of us have heard those powerful messages from childhood. Maybe these are messages we're propagating even now to our own children without realizing it. But friends, they are lies. Those are lies of the evil one. We need to hear this message loud and clear. Because of Jesus, we don't need to hide. Whether we're young or old, a teenager or an elder in this church, you don't need to hide. Let's commit to taking off our masks of self-protection and be honest with one another. And I'll I'll start. Hi, my name is Pastor Dave Furman, and I struggle with depression. I've struggled with it in the past, and at times I still struggle with it today. 
Sometimes I'm so discouraged that I, I actually feel like quitting my pastoral job and moving to a log cabin in the woods. And seriously. Maybe some of you feel that way too. You're stressed out, discouraged in your workplace. Sometimes my arm pain is so bad that I scream. Like literally, actually scream. Sometimes I'm so sad that I don't want to get out of bed in the morning. And I know many of you are struggling too. There's real pain in this room. I received several messages this, this week when you had heard that I'm preaching on this subject. Many of you just mentioned, I am I'm hurting. And I know that there are many more in a room this size of people that are struggling with depression. Some of you are in debt and in desperate need of a job, and that's brought you to despair. Your marriage is a mess, and you're hurting. Some of you have a literal chemical imbalance in your brain that causes depression. That's a real thing. I'm not ashamed to say I've taken medication prescribed by a doctor for my depression before. I needed it, and I may need it again someday. Some of you need to humble yourself and go see a psychiatrist and get help. That's not weakness, that's courage. Others of you don't need medication. You just need permission to cry and grieve. You need permission to be a Christian who is hurting. Others aren't reading God's word. You're you're hurting, but you don't open up your Bible. Friends, that is God speaking to us. And I'll confess, there are days that I don't want to open up the Bible, even now as a pastor. Days that I don't want to get into God's word. But friend, we do it anyway. All of us need to open God's word because it is a balm to our weary souls. If we would just open it and look at it. Some of us desperately need to talk to a friend or get ongoing biblical counseling. Others have suicidal thoughts and feelings. Let me say this very carefully and lovingly. Friend, if this is you, I weep with you. In this week when I was writing these notes and thinking about you, even if I don't know you, and just praying for you, tears just came down my face as I thought about the real pain and real darkness that you're going through. I want you to know that your feelings are real. You're going through real pain. It's a scary place to be. I want you to know that if you come to us with those struggles, you won't be cast out. We won't tell you just to try harder, to do better. No, come to us. We just want to hold you in our arms and pray for you and care for you and help you. We want to put our loving arms around you. If you struggle with suicidal thoughts or you've attempted suicide, a friend, please talk to us. Please talk to us today. True bravery acknowledges that you need help. 
Talk to your community group leader. Talk to the person sitting next to you this morning. Talk to me. I'll be up here, up, up at the front after the service. Talk to any of the elders. Pastor Matt Chandler has said, it's okay not to be okay. But it's not okay to stay there. Friend, it's okay not to be okay. But it's not okay to stay there. And it's certainly not okay to stay there alone. Because the the church is not a convention for superheroes. It's a hospital for the hurting. The prosperity gospel preachers that are all around us, they have it wrong. They are so wrong. Christian, there is pain and suffering in this life. It's a fallen world. And we all struggle with sin. See, to weep doesn't mean you don't have enough faith. Just because you're going through trial doesn't necessarily mean you don't have enough faith. No, the church should be a place where we have the freedom to cry out to God and to receive the help that we need. You know, prayers like Haman in Psalm 88 are an encouragement to us because Christians at times pray like this psalmist. Sometimes we're weak. Sometimes we're falling apart. Can Christians get depressed? Yes. Let me show us a second thing. A second thing, second exhortation I want to leave with you is is this truth. God is sovereign and loving. God is sovereign and loving. These are truths we must know in our pain. God is sovereign. First Chronicles 29. God rules over all. In your hand are power and might. Psalm 103, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. And Ephesians 1, God works all things according to the counsel of his will. God is in control over everything and he knows everything. He knows you. Hurting friend, be comforted with the fact That he knows you. God said to the prophet Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Luke, or Jesus in Luke 12 says, Even the hairs of your head are all numbered. He knows every hair on your head. Last time I checked, I still have thousands of hairs on the top of my head, thousands of strands of hair. And Jesus knows them all. Every single one of them. He knows about every ache, every pain, every thought, every emotion. He knows about every second of every bad day, every trial that we have. Nothing escapes his divine gaze. Christian brother or sister, Jesus knows you. And he loves you. Romans 8. And all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Nothing is more powerful than the love of God. Nothing can intercept God's love. Nothing can cut it off. Nothing can stop it. God's love is more powerful than anything. It is all powerful. That's the love that's in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to the cross to save you from your sin. He left the comforts of heaven. He faced hell in order to bring you with him to heaven. It's the ultimate love story. And earlier in chapter 8, Paul wrote, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's what Charles Spurgeon understood. How did he persevere through all the heartache? Well, a clue to his perseverance is something that he said on occasion. I have learned to kiss the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. What did Spurgeon mean when he said kiss the wave? What is he telling you and me to do in the midst of our suffering? I don't think Spurgeon is giving us trite advice as if suffering isn't difficult. I don't think he's being sarcastic and telling us to pretend that it's easy just to toughen up, toughen up and get on with life. No, pain is difficult, but Spurgeon is telling us that our Romans 828 God is doing more in our suffering than we can see with our eyes. Spurgeon knew that God had a purpose in his trials and was working them together for good. Yes, we should want out of our suffering because it hurts. And yes, God in his grace uses our suffering for good. But Spurgeon has good advice for us. Stop flailing your arms in panic for a second. Stop obsessing over the waves and embrace the God who lovingly and sovereignly designed your circumstances. Kiss the wave. In the midst of the storm, God has your good and glory in mind. He's there in the wave and he's taking you to him. He's taking you to him in the midst of your trials. So because Romans 8.28 is not just a verse for a Christian greeting card, but a verse that we should have branded on our hearts. God will work together all things for the good of his people. As Christians, we weep. We hurt, we grieve, but it's not a grieving without hope. It's interesting that in Psalm 88, the psalmist offers no hope in the content of the psalm. And yet the author's name and job are listed in the title. This man's life, ministry, and suffering were no accidents or errors in God's plan. The hope in the psalm is surely in the title There in your Bibles, O Lord, God of my salvation. The psalmist was despairing and discouraged, but he knew that God was sovereign and loving. The third thing I want to say this morning, remember Jesus. Hurting friend, look to Jesus. Don't forget about our Savior. Look at him. If you have a Bible... Turn with me to Psalm 42. We'll have the psalm up on the screens behind me. I want to read through the entire psalm. It's one of my favorites. I'll start in verse 1.
As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul was cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Miser. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to the To God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation And my God. Again, this is a sad psalm. The psalmist is having a difficult time. He's all alone. Verse 4 tells us that he used to go and be with the people at the house of God. He was a temple singer in Jerusalem. He badly wants to be back with God's people. This is what he means in verse 1. When he says, as the deer pants for streams of water. Have you ever wondered what that means? He says, I'm like that deer that so badly wants a drink. And the word here is actually for a female deer. The picture we get is of a female deer who's too frightened to go down to the water because another animal is there waiting to attack. And this is interesting. The male deer actually hides in the back of the woods and sends his females down to test the water first. You know, if one of them is attacked by a predator, then they move on with the survivors and go to a new place. Isn't that great leadership? Men, don't try this at home. (laughs) And what the psalmist is saying is that I'm like that deer. I'm like that deer that's so thirsty for water, but I can't go because I'm afraid. Something was keeping the psalmist away from the temple and it was tearing him up. Ironically, the speaker's only drink had been his tears. Psalmist is alone. He's also being taunted. Did you notice the speaker changes in verse 3? And then again later on, it's the voice of his enemies. And they're saying to him, where is your God? See, his circumstances were so terrible that even the pagans around him were saying, yeah, right. Your, Your God has certainly left you. Your life is despicable. Your God is gone. And this wasn't a one-time harassment. It was happening every day. He was alone. He's being taunted. And lastly, we see that this temple singer was depressed. In verse 10, he says, My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me. He may be hurting physically, but most often in the Psalms, images of physical pain are actually symbols of deep emotional anguish. 
He's cast down and in turmoil. In verse 7, he says he feels like he's drowning. All your breakers, all your waves have gone over me. He feels like he's just about to die. Verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Now he knows this isn't true. He just said in the prior verse, the Lord's steadfast love is with him. But he feels forgotten. Remember, depression is grief out of proportion to circumstance. He gets it in his head. But it hasn't come down to his heart. He knows God hasn't left him. He feels like God has. He's depressed. But notice what the psalmist does. This is the key. Verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise in my salvation and my God. And then he repeats himself again at verse 11 at the end of the psalm. And all this, this man is fighting for hope. Friends, the answer to the Psalm 88 life is Psalm 42. There will be despair. There will be discouragements. There will be trials. There will be pain. There will be dark nights of the soul. But you have to fight for faith. You have to fight like the psalmist there in Psalm 42. I mean, as you read the psalm, it's almost as if he's fighting himself between each verse. You know, he's stating a truth about God, and then he's stating how depressed he is and how life is over and how the waves are just going over his head. And then even in the midst of the psalm and at the end, he stops and stops listening to the lies in his head, and he starts talking to himself. I mean, he's in this battle. He's fighting himself. He's grieving and maybe even complaining. But then verse 5, verse 11, he's reminding himself of his salvation and his God. Oh, friends, we have to do the same. A Christian must have joy. True joy is not a fake smile, but a delightful confidence in God and His work. True joy is a delightful confidence in God. Well, how do we find joy? Well, my friend Aaron Menikoff says it so well. He says, stop looking for joy. And instead, look at Christ. We're commanded to rejoice in Scripture. But how do we do it? It's not by looking at our circumstances. It's not by going on a massive earthly treasure hunt for joy. The way we find joy is to stop looking for joy. The way to find joy is to stop looking for it and instead look at Jesus. He's the treasure. We won't find happiness if we look to the world. It'll be an endless pursuit. Menikoff says that this is why when Paul commands us to rejoice in Philippians, it's at the end of the book. He's already shown in that letter God's glory and the wonderful promises and salvation through Jesus Christ. He shows us Jesus, the humble incarnation that God in the flesh, Jesus left heaven, came to earth and died for us. He's shown us all of that in Philippians And then Paul commands us to rejoice. Then, once you see Jesus, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Look to Jesus. 
Remind yourself that through Christ, God never turns away from his people. There is only one person who sought God, who God turned away from. There's only one person who truly did lose God's face and experienced total darkness. Who was it? It was Jesus. The Son of God, God in the flesh, came to earth on a rescue mission for sinners. He lived the perfect life. He faced mocking. He faced loneliness. He faced physical, emotional, and spiritual agony. The height of that was seen on the cross when he was forsaken by God the Father. Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? Why was Jesus forsaken? So that you and I would never be forsaken. He experienced the ultimate rejection so we never would. The abandonment Jesus experienced on the cross is good news for us today. Because Jesus was truly abandoned by God, we will never be abandoned by God. If Jesus went to the cross to make us his people, do you think he'll abandon us now in our pain? He saved you. Jesus faced abandonment from God the Father while you and I were his enemies. Now that we're his children adopted into his family, would he not take care of us now? Well, God's faithfulness in the past is a model of his faithfulness today and tomorrow and the next day and forever. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, friend, turn to him. Turn to him. There is hope for the hopeless. There is hope for the hurting. There's hope for the depressed. But don't stay where you're at. Come to Christ. Only by repenting of your sin and trusting in Jesus to save you and being brought into his family can you find true joy. Christian friend, rest assured that because of Jesus, there is always hope, even in the darkest moments of your life. Because Jesus had that dark night in the Garden of Gethsemane, one day your dark nights of the soul will be a distant memory. Because of the cross, the anxieties of the morning will one day be long gone. Christ's nail-scarred hands will wipe our tear-stained eyes dry forever. Pain and suffering will not be the final word in our lives, and death will die. Death will be crushed forever. Can Christians get depressed? Yes. Have I struggled with depression? Yes. But I can have joy even in the tears. I can look to Jesus and have sweet confidence of God's work in my life. And so can you. Redeemer Church of Dubai, let's fight the good fight of faith. Let's look to Jesus together. Let's pray. Father God, many of us are here and we're weary today. Many of us are hurting. Some are depressed and discouraged. There are those of us who are anxious. 
some who can't even concentrate in this worship service. We're singing songs with our mouth, but we're not even able to pay attention to the words. Oh, Father, help us all see Jesus. Help us to look at Him. Help us to stop trying to find joy in this world. Would we stop looking for joy and would we start looking at Jesus? Father, help us to see clearly what you've done for us. Help us to be open. Would we be a community at this church that we would openly share about our pain and struggles? Would there be no shame in this church? Father, help us to hope in God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.